Hello and welcome to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Time now for our monthly previews show. Brought to you, of course, by Coffee and Heroes. Myself, Alan, the owner of Coffee and Heroes in Smithfield, Belfast. Joined as ever by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. And good evening to you. How are you? Not too bad. Are you ready to look through the previews books and see why our wallets will be crying this month? Well, I surely am. I had a... I had a nice week last week with regard to uh, with regard to the size of my pool list. It was relatively handy. I had an all right week this week. This being uh, new comic book day, uh, February the seventh. Still haven't quite got into it, but I'm looking forward. I'm I'm caught up. I'm caught up. You're being caught up is the most important part here because there's there's nothing worse than us trying to have conversations about stuff and either I haven't read it or you haven't read it. So it's actually kind of nice. We've we've both sort of synced up now. Um, last week, Keith actually finished his pull list before me, so of course I had the strike back this week, and I'm <laughs> I'm about 13 titles deep. But no, it's uh, it's it's been a good start to the year, a lot of quality so far. Uh, but it is nice when you do have those slightly quieter weeks. I think it's nice to really be able to focus on stuff. I mean, this week there's a title that I enjoyed so much. I'm even going to read it twice. Oh, really? What was that? Which does not happen often. It's called The One Hand by Mr. Ram V, who we uh, were uh, lucky enough to uh, interview recently again. We were. That we were. A uh, wonderful interview as well. You can check that out on the podcast feed. Uh, thoroughly intelligent, well succinct, just just a great great guy. And uh, just lots of intriguing stuff coming up. But this, yeah, this is this is already running for number ones of the year. It's, it's, it's very much so. And the gist of that is he's right in the one hand and then his buddy Dan Waters. There's a sister title called The Six Fingers. So the idea basically is that the one hand is one story, the six fingers is another story, but if you read them both, there's a third story revealed. So you can just read one title if you like, but trust me, when you read the one hand, number one, you're going to want the six fingers. <laughs> well, that was a book that was released this week, and what we want to talk about is books that are going to be released in April. Absolutely. So these are the February previews books. These are available, of course, in store. You can have a look at them anytime you pop in. You can find the solicitations online as well, of course. Majority of these titles will be released in April of this year. There may be one or two advanced solicits, but we'll certainly point those out where we can. But yeah, we're recording this nice and early. The The previews sort of cutoff date is towards the end of February. It's the 23rd of February, I believe. Took you a couple of weeks to work your way through this and do any further research you need to and let us know of any pull list additions. So, I mean, we'll, we'll start as we always do with just sort of a brief overview of the books. I mean, uh, they're always divided into three. You've got your DC book, you've got your Marvel book, you've got your independent book. With DC, it's a quiet month. Once again, I have to say in terms of new titles, it's it's sort of hard to shake the feeling at the moment that we're on the verge of a big announcement or a big shake-up in the world of DC and therefore all the focus is on their current ongoing series. I mean, there is there is one event in terms of single issues, a, a little bit of a crossover between Superman and action comics. Uh, it's called House of Brainiac. We'll get into more details in a second on that. But that being said, there is a lot of great collected editions to highlight in this month's book. Some uh, reprints of older stuff, which has been long in demand. Uh, there's especially a long-awaited box set that might even interview that might even interest Keith, I should say, being reprinted. That's sure to be popular. So, a pretty light month for DC, it has to be said. But I think that's counteracted by a very packed week for a very packed month for Marvel. It usually is. I mean, I think uh, I think it's fair to say that DC have cut down, have trimmed a lot of their content. And I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sorry to see Marvel maybe follow suit a wee bit and uh, and just just maybe make sure the qualities. Do you think part of that is just because Marvel's under Disney umbrella? There's that many licenses now. Because if you think of your main Marvel universe, there's probably not an overwhelming amount of titles. But then you have to factor in Star Wars and you have to factor in Predator and Alien and 
Planet of the, Planet of the Apes, Apes uh-huh. and, and so on and All so forth. So, Century Fox stuff, yeah. So I suppose Marvel just have a larger catalogue. I mean, DC don't really deal with too many things outside of their main universe anymore. Obviously, yeah. when they had DC yeah. Vertigo, there was some some of that, but it, it's their main universe, whereas Marvel, yeah, they have access to many more licenses. And I, I am interested in this... Uh big announcement or shake-up that you're anticipating. Well, we'll get into that a little more when we reach the, the DC books. So, uh, on the Marvel side, um, the big thing in April is Blood Hunt. It is a Marvel Comics event, a fairly unique one in that, um, for the first time in, in a long time uh, that I can remember, they're releasing two separate editions of the comic. One is a regular edition and the other is a red band edition with extra blood and guts and more pages. Um, Blood Hunt is, I think it's an Avengers story, a Moon Knight story, Doctor Strange, Blade, and uh, they're taking on vampires as a global threat, whether that comes off the back of what happened in Jason Aaron's Avengers, where the vampires now have a city uh, in uh, in the old Chernobyl site, uh, which isn't uh, habitable by humans. Um, and it seems that this... Red Band Edition is going to make good use of that extra space and the more mature rating. Uh, Now, Blood Hunt does technically come out in May the 1st, but we're mentioning it here because uh, this will be the last time we'll get a chance to probably talk about it uh, before uh, the May uh, previews. But um, it is also included in Marvel's April April solicits. And uh, it's a gore-soaked, as I say, vampire crossover. Jed McKay, who is the writer, is uh, describing it as the bloodiest event in Marvel Comics history. Sabretooth War has something to say about that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'd say he's probably had a look at that and gone, I can do better. Um, in addition, uh, we have a big milestone for Daredevil, who's going to be celebrating 60 years since his 1964 debut. And uh, in recognition, Daredevil number eight will be oversized. Uh, that'll be clocking in at a chunky 88 pages. Uh, elsewhere, we have Spider-Man's Shadow of Green Goblin delving into the history of one of the comic's greatest villains, uh, Norman Osborn. We've all loved him. Uh, we've all feared him as that particular villain, but uh, this book promises to reveal the secret history of the Proto-Goblin. On the Thor side of things, tying in with Immortal Thor, we will have the debut of Roxxon Presents, Thor number one. Now, Roxxon, you'll know as the... Um, erstwhile a villainous energy company in the Marvel Universe and I've actually just finished reading Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D. which was a 1988 book and Roxxon were a big part of that but this Roxxon Presents Thor number one features the story of a new Thor who is entirely owned by the Roxxon Corporation which has purchased the in-universe rights for this version of Marvel Comics under the command of the villainous Dario Adger who is the, the current, one of the current villains in, uh, in the Immortal Thor and uh, the Minotaur. And then, we've mentioned it before, but uh, in the Ultimate Universe at this point, uh, Ultimate X-Men by Peach Momoko will be out. And it sounds like uh, number two is going to have the first appearance of a character that uh, Momoko created uh, called Maystorm. And so we'll be seeing that, uh, I guess, that the, the full, first full story of that, of that individual. So... Exciting stuff on the Marvel side of things, as you say, plenty going on. What about indie? Well, when it comes to indie, normally uh, within the books, we focus on those maybe more than DC and Marvel, which is not surprising given the chunky book that comes in it, but it's, it's a little lighter this month, but that's not to say there's not some big, big titles coming, certainly from Image Comics. 
Uh, they were in print, of course, Ghost Machine, uh, which has attracted some of the best talents in the industry to exclusively work on their titles. Gary Frank, Jeff Johns, Ivan Rice, Jason Fabic, Brian Hitch, etc., etc. And after the recent Ghost Machine one-shot, which was pretty great, I oh, thought. Oh, it was fabulous. Oh, well, it had plenty of world-building. You must have loved mm-hmm. it. Character profiles and breakdowns and, and all sorts. But the first title that they had already sort of released prior to this formation of Ghost Machine was Geiger, which has been fantastic. It's going to be included, but there's going to be a couple of new titles as well. So definitely a big month for Image Comics, I would say. But other than that, as I say, quite an indie month from us. Still plenty of great titles kicking about, of course. And there are a couple of our favorite titles coming to trade paperback and hardcover, which we would like to point out as well. Mm-hmm. But but as always, we'll kick things off with the DC book, probably because this will last about 10 minutes at the most, <laughs> because this is all speculation, guys. The the main thing that you know catches my eye in the, the DC book this month is, so we, we've had the free comic book titles already announced from Marvel, from the indie publishers, yep. you know, Energon Universe stuff, Conan stuff. Uh, the Marvel Avengers, X-Men stuff, that kind of thing. But DC seemed to be a little bit slower uh, to announce what they would be doing for free comic book day. So, and why is that? I have no idea. But maybe because things are afoot, uh, mm. which I think will become clear with it. I mean, they've got a couple of more traditional free comic book day things for uh, all ages. So you've got Bark on Asylum, free comic book day edition, Barda 2024. Uh, you've got some stuff from Mad Magazine. But the main one that catches the eye, of course, is DC Major Event 2024 free comic book day special edition that is a mouthful uh no cover of course just completely black uh they're not giving anything away but there is a small um there's a small description here which is the prelude to the biggest dc comics event of 2024 is here it's a story 30 years in the making and in the special free comic book day till the final domino to fall and an epic scheme comes tumbling down oh my god if they veered into marvel territory here the dc universe will never be the same more details coming soon so <laughs> That is far from Marvel territory. They've been doing it for years. But Marvel have it in their book every month. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what's happening here. There's been lots of rumours and scuttlebutt around the internet. There's been a lot of talk about Mark Wade and Dan Mora being pulled off Shazam. That's one of their premier yes. you know, creative teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, perfect example. I know that you're going to drop off Shazam when yeah. that creative team leaves. I have a couple of other people who want to do the same. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that pretty much backs up what we always say. Follow creators, not necessarily characters. Uh, so they've been pulled off to work on something secret, and I saw Scott Snyder retweet this and saying this is true. And there's a lot of people have said that he's now going to be back at DC as some sort of major architect of some big event. Marvel recently reintroduced the Ultimate Universe to tremendous success with a a great issue one of Ultimate Spider-Man, but b everyone was talking about it. You know, the buzz was there, the FOMO was there, the scrambling to get first prints was there. I've already seen it this week as well with Ultimate Black Panther number one. Uh, same sort of thing. What's the score there? Uh, well, I've seen again retailers listing it at twenty twenty five pounds for issue one on release day. It's 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 my usual bugbear, uh, and it's what the whole, it's almost what the whole driving force of this particular um subject for our podcast is when we do previews. This is all about making sure you get cover a day one, plenty of notice, that kind of thing. The coffee and uh, heroes guarantee, absolutely, and will always be there. I should get a plaque made. Uh, I think I'm just hanging above the door, but. Yeah, it's there's a lot of speculation this is going to be DC's version of the Ultimate Universe. Okay. Are they going to update stuff to modern day instead of Batman's origin taking place in 1939, 1940? Is it taking place in 2001, 2010, 2020, that kind of thing? Again, a lot of speculation here. Okay, uh, There's nothing confirmed yet, but I do think that perhaps this free comic book day issue will maybe 
lead to a little bit more clarity with that. As you say, DC have been stripping back on their titles a little bit, focusing just on their core characters. There's not a lot of mini-series about at the moment, so I think it would make perfect sense for this. But just if they do this kind of thing, they better not cancel the next title you're going to talk about. It's interesting how, how DC do that, from Crisis on Multiple Earths to Crisis on Infinite Earths to Infinite Crisis to uh, our most recent Crisis. Dark Crisis. Dark Crisis. Uh, and it's been about the the either expansion or contraction of their multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, we have the multiverse back again. So, I mean, would it just be a matter if they were creating an ultimate universe? Would it just be a matter of highlighting one of the alternate exactly. universes yeah. and and that being the thing? Well, as that's have, it. You know, it's, as I say, it'll be a, if based on speculation, it'll be a version of ultimate universe. It's not like they could use that moniker and you know create an ultimate universe. That's a, a Marvel thing, but I think it's just something similar to it—a a brand new starting point for yeah. new readers. Maybe a slightly alternative take on some of their origins. Maybe more updated. But as you say, the thing with DC, they have the multiverse of 52 different universes. They could literally call this the Earth 15 line or the Earth 25 yeah, line or, yeah. or whatever. So, And it is interesting, to to a large extent, Marvel heroes have always been a little more accessible than DC heroes. A little, uh, who, who, can, who can see themselves in uh, a millionaire whose parents are killed and goes out at night? <laughs> to fight evil or an alien from another world you know, who is the archetypical paragon. And that's what what the original Ultimate Marvel line did was to try and make sure that those heroes stayed accessible, that that uh, 16-year-old kids, teenagers at that time yeah, could... could understand what that yeah, Peter Parker's exactly, going through. Exactly, so I mean, that would be interesting. I mean, I don't know what, if the current Ultimate Universe, the new Ultimate Universe, is, mm-hmm. if that's their goal uh, in mind, perhaps. Whenever you you certainly look at Ultimate Spider-Man One, maybe that would be interesting as to what they were trying to achieve with that. Yeah, um, you know, to make the heroes more accessible. Or, well, if you look back at the the new Fifty Two line when DC did it, they obviously came in for a lot of flack because at the time it was oh you're ignoring all of the history and you're restarting these characters with who've only been around for four or five years. But the new Fifty Two certainly at the start was a tremendous success. The new yeah. Fifty Two got me in the single issue collecting. You know, which led a chain reaction to me opening a store. But I was never really a single issue guy before that. Collected the odd series, but certainly not to the level I do now. So yeah, I just I think anything that makes it more accessible is always a good thing. It does, of course, sometimes, you know, rankle with traditionalists who like their legacy numbering and you know their decades of continuity and all the rest. But it's an art form that's been around eighty plus a hundred years. You every so often you need to refresh it. You need to try yeah. and attract those new readers. The MCU certainly did that for the Marvel comic books. The DC universe has maybe been less successful with that in terms of adaptations to other mediums, uh, certainly in the movie universe, although again, that could change soon with mm-hmm. the way James Gunn's shepherding it as well. So I think maybe, I mean, again, this is all speculation, you know, this is, this is that we do not have some inside track to the machinations of uh, DC uh, comics. Were that the case? Were that the case, if but, only. Uh, anyway, as you mentioned, as long as uh, things stay, uh, things stay hale and hearty with this particular title. Uh, which is my first choice from the DC book, and that is Nightwing number 113, and it's significant because it is Legacy number 300. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Various. Uh, there's a backup story written by Michael W. Conrad and illustrated by Hard Porter. And we have the original cover, which looks fantastic. Uh, it's a, a, a motion cover of Nightwing by series artist Bruno Redondo, 
but we also have variant covers by Dan Mora, Jamal Campbell, and various. But it says, and interestingly, given what we were just talking about, it says, since the 1940s, you've seen him go from acrobat to orphan, from Dick Grayson to Robin, from Robin to Nightwing. You've seen him work alongside the universe's most powerful heroes against existence's most sinister villains. You've seen Dick Grayson do so many things, but now in his 300th issue, easy for me to say, you will see him, well, you'll just have to pick up the issue and find out. Uh, join us for this Legacy 300 issue. Excellent. And out of those 300 issues, how many do you own? Uh, all of them. <laughs> Which I'm glad to say. And, and just sticking on the Nightwing, uh, the Nightwing tip for something that certainly interests me, and that's the Nightwing 2024 annual, where we'll be discovering the secret origin of the Pirate Queen. Uh, it's written by Travis Moore, uh, art by Travis Moore, cover by... Travis Moore. It's 48 pages and the secret origins of B. Bennett. During Nightwing's recent pirate adventure we learned that B. Bennett, Dick slash Rick's ex-girlfriend, is a pirate queen whose father, the quartermaster, left her an entire pirate society. But what about uh, her life before she became a pirate, before she met Rick Grayson? Just what, and more importantly, who led her to where she is today? A backstory like no other with tales of betrayal, love, and independence. So this is, this is interesting because the recent the recent arc of, of Nightwing has reintroduced B. Uh, B was was a character in the, the Rick Grayson run, whatever you think of it. I stuck with it. I found parts of it interesting. And, uh, you know, sometimes you go through, sometimes you go through periods with characters where you, you do stick with it, but uh, you know what I mean? You're like, oh my it God. It takes a special love for a character to stick with it. But, yeah, you know, it, maybe, maybe you, you will now go back and have new appreciation given that Tom Taylor's cherry picking well, elements yeah, from exactly it. it. Yeah, he's, he's cherry picking. Elaborate on uh, that. Retroactively fleshing out the story. Retroactively making it interesting for you. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, anyway, uh, a couple of Nightwings, straight on to a couple of, uh, of Superman uh, bits and pieces. So, April will see the beginning of the House of Brainiac, which is going to be an action comics uh, Superman core series crossover. And that's going to include uh, at least one one shot. So Action Comics 1064 by Joshua Williamson and Rafa Sandoval, uh, with a bunch of variant covers, is House of Brainiac Part 1. Brainiac attacks. Brainiac's Lobo army invades Metropolis in an action-packed oversized issue. The Super Family and all the heroes of Metropolis join the fight, but will that be enough to hold off Brainiac's lethal and crazed soldiers? Can Superman and Lex learn what Brainiac is searching for? He's not bottling Metropolis, so what is he collecting instead? And that picks up in Superman number 13 with part two. Again, Joshua Williamson. Again, Rafa Sandoval. House of Brainiac part two. Superman and Lobo team up. Together, the Man of Steel and the main man race across the universe on a hunt uh, for the Lobo army and Brainiac. Can they get uh, along long enough to get to them before Brainiac enacts the next stage of the dangerous, his dangerous plans to create a new house of Brainiac. And lastly, that same month, uh, and a week afterwards, we have the Superman House of Brainiac special, which is Brainiac's secret history with Lobo revealed. Joshua Williamson and Mark Russell are writing, Edwin Gammon and Steve Pugh on art. So that'll be the secret history of Lobo with Brainiac. Yeah, it's an interesting format that they've taken here because normally when they're doing events, the special would be part one to sort of bring you into it, and then action would be part two, Superman would be part three. But this is actually slightly different. So Action Comics is part one, Superman's part two, and then I think House of Brain Act they call 2.5. 2.5, yeah. Yeah, so once you start getting into point numbers, that 
frustrates me. Yeah, well, they do, of course, call it an essential issue uh, in the action comic Superman crossover as Brainiac's secret history with Lobo and Zarnia. Zarnia mm-hmm. uh, is revealed. How did Brainiac create a bottled city of Zarnia, which uh, is Lobo's homeworld? Isn't that correct? So yeah, there you go. That's the uh, that's the crack there. Are you interested in that? Or are you? Yeah, Superman just it continues to not really be my thing. But Joshua Williamson writing could get me interested. I do think Superman works better in sort of small story blocks. I, I've always said that it can be hard to stay on an ongoing. How many times can you pull out Kryptonite slash put somebody lives in danger slash use magic against them? So it's uh, I always uh, think he works better in short bursts. I don't. I mean, I'm enjoying the current the current Superman. I I love Superman. I, I mean, he's he is the Paragon uh, hero. I'm enjoying the current run. I'm enjoying the current. Uh, stuff with Lex Luthor. I, I mean, I don't think you always, you always hear that Superman's, especially with the movies, that Superman's a hard character to write stories for. But I think really it's just if people, if writers don't know the character. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, some of my favorite books of recent years have been Superman. I, I loved the uh, Superman Red and Blue, which was the anthology book, because again, I thought it was easier to distill down his essence into shorter stories, and some of those were absolutely fantastic. You know, I really enjoyed. Superman Up in the Sky, um, Tom King, not the only reason I enjoyed it, but I just thought it was an excellent story again. So there are examples here and there, of course, but it's just when it comes to ongoing stuff, I, I suppose part of it, it comes back to you, you talk about relatability, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and yeah. maybe Batman's more my guy. Yes, he's a millionaire, billionaire, whatever, but he's human. He can be hurt. He can be harmed. He can be, you know, got at, so to speak, whereas with Superman... Yeah, unless you're Lex Luthor, you struggle to exploit weakness. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's really it in terms of single issues. I mean, there, there's plenty of good stuff continuing on. You know, the main Batman series with Chip Zdarsky, World's Finest continuing, Birds of Prey is really, really strong at the moment. Uh, you've got Batman Off-World with Jason Aaron up to issue five by this month. Ram's Detective is hurtling towards its end. So there's plenty of good stuff there, but I just wanted to finish off the DC part by talking about a couple of collections. So the first one being Secret Six by Gail Simone, Omnibus Volume 1. So this is written by Gail Simone, art by Nicholas Scott and Dale Eaglesham. And I have heard nothing but fantastic stuff about this Secret Six run. So this band of outcasts has fought the world's greatest heroes and world's deadliest villains. They've shot, swindled, scammed and double-crossed the very best and lived to tell the tale. The Secret Six will take any job if the price is right but might kill each other off in the process. So this is collecting a lot of Gail Simone stuff. So Secret Six volumes, Villains United... Sounds a wee bit Thunderboltsy, maybe. No, use that, use that title carefully, oh, I know. and with the respect it deserves. I know, I know. I retract my previous statement. <laughs> uh, the other two I wanted to highlight. The first one is Hitman by Garth Ennis and John McRae. This is finally getting an omnibus. This is uh, a chunky bad boy at one thousand one hundred and thirty-six pages, but yet it's only volume one. So, from the twisted minds of Garth Ennis and John McRae comes Hitman, the story of contract killer Tommy Monaghan who just so happens to have X-ray vision and telepathy. The first volume collects Hitman 1-33, to the Hitman annual uh, issues of The Demon, and includes a brand new introduction by Ennis, a forward and cover by McRae, and loads of behind-the-scenes material from the Irreverent series. But in terms of collected slash box sets, this is one I'm very happy to see because I get asked about this on a semi-regular basis. Oh, yeah? If certain things are available, but some of them have been out of print for blooming years. They did a series back... About 20 years ago, the Batman family, they did year one books. Uh-huh. So they did Batgirl year one. They did Robin year one. They did Nightwing year one. Now, they recently reprinted Batgirl year one, which I very much enjoyed. But 
Nightwing Year One and Robin Year One are bloody difficult to get mm-hmm. for yep. whatever reason. Well, now they're doing a box set of all three. Ooh. So written by Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon with art by Marcos Martin, Javier Polito and Scott McDaniel. Discover the birth of the Gotham Knights. Every story has a beginning. The Batman Family Year One box set features the complete collections for Batgirl Year One, Robin Year One and a box set exclusive edition of Nightwing Year One. Witness the birth of legends and the start of journeys that would define the characters forever. As I say, I've never read Nightwing Year One or Robin Year One, but if they are as good as the Batgirl Year One, you're in for a treat with that. Sounds interesting. I mean, and the Robin of that Robin Year One, is that Dick Grayson as well? Or? I think it might be Tim Drake. Okay. But I need, right. I'd need to double check. As I say, I haven't actually personally read it, but great, great stuff there. So yeah, as I say, a fairly light month for the DC book, but that will be contracted by a mammoth month from Marvel. Uh, kicking off with what looks like the big one for Marvel. Uh, as mentioned in the introduction, Blood Hunt number one of a five-issue miniseries. The writer is Jed McKay. The artist is Pepe Larraz, who is also on covers. Uh, and there is, of course, a raft of variant covers. This is billed as the bloodiest Marvel event ever. The skies have gone dark. The sun is hiding its face from the carnage to come. The children of the night, the vampires, have risen from the dark and hidden places of the world as one to drown the Marvel Universe in blood. Earth's final night has fallen. Can even the heroes of this doomed world stem the tide of blood that is to come? Join the Avengers, Blade, Bloodline, Spider-Man, Hunter's Moon, Tigra, Doctor Strange and Clea as the dance of death begins in Blood Hunt number one. As mentioned, uh, this is out on the 1st of May. And they've also solicited here the Blood Hunt number one red band edition, which is polybagged. Uh, there will be more blood expanded and unexpurgated and polybagged for your protection. The red band edition of Blood Hunt 1 contains uh, additional pages of unexpurgated material that is too explicit for the regular edition. It is uh, 48 pages rather than the 40 pages, so there's an extra 8 pages in there. Um, yeah, so... I'm glad to see it's extra pages and not just we added a splash of blood to this panel or you know we added a swear word to this panel or that kind of thing. I mean, certainly what we'll do anytime anybody pre-orders uh, Blood Hunt, we'll ask whether it's a case of, do you want the red band version or the traditional version? So suffice to say, 100% of people who have pre-ordered so far have said, give me the red band version. So we're clearly all just uh, just clearly wanting that uh, more adult content. It's, uh, it used to be a big 90s thing, oh, yeah. uh, polybagging. I always found it difficult because you had to buy, not necessarily two different versions, but you always had to buy one polybagged to keep polybagged on the other to open and read. <laughs> so I don't know what You've I'm grown out of that phase now, haven't you? Here's hoping. Here's hoping. <laughs> well, we'll move away from Blood Hunt number one and on to a couple of new series getting number ones as well. Marvel have actually started this thing this month. They've got a couple of new sort of taglines or badges to certain series. So for both these two that I'm going to chat about, it says all new ongoing series. It, it was a bit of a criticism of the Marvel previews book, certainly from myself for the last couple of years, where... A number one would be solicited and people would say, oh, how long is that? Is that an ongoing? Is that five issues? And sometimes it didn't specify. So it's hard to maybe get people excited if you can't give that amount of clarity. But in both cases here, they have been solicited as all new ongoing series. So the first one, which will interest Keith precisely 0%, is Deadpool number one. That depends who's on it. Well, Cody Ziegler's writing, so maybe mm. you're up to 3% now. You know, yeah, Miles Morales' Miles Morales writer. Is writer yeah. uh, Rouge Antonio on art. Covered by Torun Clark, and then there's all your usual variant covers. And yes, there's a Rob Liefeld variant. Uh, so, a new era for the Merc with a mouth and a gun and a sword. Cody Ziegler, Futurama, Miles Morales, Spider Man, has a wild ride planned for the Merc with a mouth, 
introducing a terrifying new villain who won't stop until he catches Wade in his death grip. But all work and no play makes Deadpool a very dead boy. So I'm going to kick things off there. There's going to be a foil variant cover as well by In Hugh Lee. Those always prove popular in store. And probably a good time for a new Deadpool series. Deadpool 3 on the horizon. Yep, yep. And Deadpool, again, is one of those characters that you may not be too you know, enamored with. <laughs> but we get plenty of people coming in asking about Deadpool. The funniest part is always when parents come in with their kids and they go, have you got any Deadpool? And you're like, why is your child reading Deadpool? Yeah, yeah. He's seen all the movies, it's fine. Okay. All right then. Uh, the other one that has an all new ongoing series that again is a character that's that's popular with um, people in store is Spider-Gwen. And this is going to be a new series, Spider-Gwen, the ghost spider. Now again, good creative team, Stephanie Phillips writing, uh, Chris Campana on art, Mark Brooks doing the main cover A, and oh damn it, Jenny Frisson's doing some variants. I'm going to have to pick those up. Uh-oh. So, Spider-Gwen, the ghost spider, trapped in the 616 for good. Welcome to New York. Gwen truly becomes a ghost spider when she moves full-time to the universe where Gwen Stacy died years ago. But why did she leave Earth-65? Why aren't the other spiders supposed to know she's here? Why isn't she supposed to suit up? And who will get hurt when she does? So, again, a character I know you're not totally um, enamored with, but again, proves pretty popular in store. So, a brand new starting point for a new series. Lovely. Um... And, you know, I came around to Damien. I could come around to Deadpool. We'll see what happens. Um, so you mentioned please, Spider-Gwen. Please don't compare the best Robin with Deadpool. Uh, we'll, not, uh, we'll not go over it again. <laughs> uh, so we're, you mentioned Spider-Gwen, so we'll stick with the, the spider side of the universe. And we have Spider-Man Shadow of the Green Goblin, number one of four. This is one, as you mentioned, Marvel or Badge and Things. Uh, this is one of their... Uh, recent retro picks um, so it is four issues as the rest of them are and bringing back storied creators from the time that usually the book is set so this is by J.M. DeMattis, uh, Michael Stamari uh, with uh, a bunch of variant covers one of which is uh, Alex Malev another by Mike Del Mondo and Norman Osborn was not the first goblin Norman Osborn is the green goblin you know but he is not the original goblin learn the shocking secrets of the proto-goblin and its dramatic connection to the Osborne family. What role does young Peter Parker, who has not yet understood his great power and responsibility, play in this unfolding events? Uh, J.M. DeMattis, Spider-Man, Craven's Last Hunt, uh, continues to build his legacy and the mythos of the classic Spider-Lore, this time paired with rising star Michael Stamaria. Yeah, that's a lovely that's a lovely cover there. Um, so very interesting stuff. Um, I had mentioned Roxon Presents Thor number one, which is uh, a one-shot. Uh, it's tied with uh, Al Ewing's Immortal Thor run and it is by Al Ewing with art and cover by Greg Land so this is Roxon Presents Thor number one from the pages of Immortal Thor the Roxon Edge of Comics that's with a double X begins in his secret identity as AI spokes guru Chad Hammer the son of Odin knows Mama Gaia is a top priority for heroes and for business but when a group of insane environmental activists take saving the earth too far it's time to show them the wisdom of both sides as Thor. But which god of evil is prompting the kids to rebel? Could it be Loki, god of evil? Featuring an all-star cast of heroes, Minotaur, Executioner, Enchantress, and the Thor truck. This is the Roxon Thor, and it's a vital part of the absolute, absolute mega event. 32 pages, it's a one-shot. Uh, it's already been teased a little bit uh, in Immortal Thor. So, given that Al Ewing is behind this, uh, I am all over it. The tough one is a store that I'm. I'm not sure whether to pair that. If you have a mortal Thor on your pull list, should I 
include that as well. Obviously, it's Al Ewing. Obviously, it's linked, but it is a separate one shot. So if they'd have called it a Mortal Thor annual, I probably would put it in. Uh-huh. But just with that different title, I don't know. It's a bit of a gray area. Thanks, Marvel. <laughs> what uh, What have you decided? I haven't yet. I will mull it over. Okay. I will mull it over. I will give it the appropriate time required. Well, here's another one that might be uh, might be in the same boat for you. Um, and that's giant-sized The Incredible Hulk, uh, which is uh, giant-sized uh, 50th uh, is the label uh, here. It is by series writer Philip Kennedy Johnson. Art is by Andrea Bocardo. The only way to contain the Hulk is in a giant-sized story. Now, Marvel have been doing these for Namor and Fantastic Four and different things recently. Writing the reels is no walk in the park, especially for the Incredible Hulk, and particularly when something, no, someone has been stolen from him by a gruesome new threat with the uh, with evil machinations in mind. Clear the tracks, the Hulk is coming through. Plus, includes a reprinting of Incredible Hulk number 372 by Peter David and Dale Keown, featuring high-speed action and heart-rending drama in a Hulk tale for the edges. Yeah, there's been a few of those giant sizes recently. As, as you say, there's been giant size Spider-Man. And uh, I think a giant size spider Gwen as well. So, yeah, plenty there to mull over. Moving along, you had mentioned 60 years of Daredevil, and we have that being celebrated in Daredevil number eight, which mm-hmm. uh, is, as you say, a special oversized issue marking 60 years. It's Saladin Ahmed on writing still, so current series writer, also current series artist Aaron Cooter, and of course, John Romina Jr. on covers. So, with this one, it could be a one-shot you could certainly jump into. Most, most of the time, these oversized issues also function as a starting point. Uh, so, a dragnet is closing around Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. Police on both sides of the law are hunting him. Something vicious with a deep connection to Matt's very soul is hunting his friends. And, in the midst of that chaos, an old foe with the blood of Matt's closest allies on his hands returns. I've been really enjoying Daredevil since Saladin Ahmed took over. Obviously, it was a pretty defining run by Chip Zdarsky you know, over the space of a three, four, maybe even five years. But I've really enjoyed that he's really picked up the baton and uh, rammed it, I think. See what you did there? The the baton. Very, oh, that uh, very was well not done. intentional yeah. at all. But I'm very <laughs> happy at that. Sometimes things just come together. Uh good stuff. Yeah, that'll be I mean it's part of the part of the run, so I'll be I'll be picking it up. But I also have been enjoying the new the new the new turn. So we'll just uh, nip into the slightly more uh, sci-fi element uh, of the Marvel Universe, picking up on one of those licenses you were talking about earlier. And we have number one of Star Wars, Darth Maul, Black, White and Red, number one. This is by Ben Percy, uh, who is currently on Wolverine X-Force and doing such a great job with art by Stefano Raphael and a cover by Alex Maleve. Darth Maul stars in his very own horror blockbuster, a prison ship transporting a cult known as the Final Oculation goes offline and Darth Maul is sent by Palpatine to investigate. What he finds on board is the stuff of nightmares. It's up to him to stop this profoundly dark and unstable force that wishes to bring chaos to the galaxy. I mean, Darth Maul is just such a cool visual, isn't he? Yeah, it's surprising. I mean, I, I don't read a lot of Star Wars comics, but it's surprising that he's not been in more comics. I've seen the odd miniseries here and there for Darth Maul, certainly, but never really reintroduced to the comics. Although I suppose that's with the current run, it's set between Empire and Jedi, isn't it? So it's not really a character you can utilize at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's always ways and means. Well, that is also <laughs> true. That's also true. Uh, one we're going to mention next is actually a title we talked about last month, but I just wanted to mention it this month because, just as I was saying earlier, sometimes the lack of clarity with the Marvel title when a number one mm, comes yeah. out. Marvel, obviously, for years, you know, for decades have had the what-if label, you know, obviously mostly focusing on superheroes. 
they're starting to branch that out a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised just mentioning Star Wars if there's a what if Star Wars sometime soon. Interesting. But what there definitely is is what if Aliens, and they announced the number one in the January previews book for March. But what we see in the February book is Aliens What If number two, and it also specifies it's going to be a five-issue miniseries. I had presumed that that was a one-shot. I thought it was a one-shot as well, so it's it's just nice to have that clarity, as I say. So with uh, with the Aliens What If, there's still time to sign up for the number one. Uh, it's It still hasn't reached the FOC cutoff, so we can still guarantee copies, first print, cover A, all the usual stuff. But the, the main crux of it is, what if Carter Burke had lived? For years, fans of James Cameron's legendary Aliens question whether Carter Burke, a company man more hateable than the Xenos themselves, after all, they wouldn't screw each other over for a percentage, a company <laughs> man more hateable uh, in that way. So what if he had actually survived the traumatic events on the terraforming colony, Hadley's Hope? Now the actor behind the beloved villain, Paul Reiser, joins his son, Leon, and the star-studded team of writers and producers, Adam F. Goldberg, Bran Volkweiss, and Hans Rodianoff for a journey back to Hadley's Hope and the twisted escape of a man should have died so as i say still time to uh to sign up for that if it's something that interests you but yeah it's just i, I do like that clarity now and knowing how long the series is yeah, going to be yeah i must that uh, must look back to see if it, w- if it was originally solicited as a one shot or if we just just said number one sort of missed that okay so we'll we'll nip into the more the the trades and the the, the collected editions if that's all right some of these are early solicits you always find that with the with the trades and omnis but uh, and this is one of those. It's an early solicit for September 2024. We will mention it again. But this is Ghost Rider Danny Ketch Omnibus Volume 1 hardcover with a Mark Texiera cover. Uh, this is this is my Ghost Rider. Written by Hard Mackey, Todd McFarlane, Roy Thomas, Dan Thomas, Mike Barron, Dan Slott, Chris Cooper, with pencils by Javier Salteras, Mark Texiera, Larry Stroman, Ron Wagner, Todd McFarlane, Mark Bagley, John Romita Jr., Jimmy Palmiotti, Rick Leonardi, and a raft of others. Fan favourite era for the Spirit of Vengeance. Young Danny Ketch becomes the new Ghost Rider and rides flaming headfirst into a gang war sparked by the deadly Death Watch. Danny's baptism of fire continues with the terrifying battles against uh, Blackout, Mr. Hyde, the Scarecrow, Nightmare, Hobgoblin, Zodiac and more. But when Johnny Blaze, the former Ghost Rider, enters his life, will the embittered ex-hero become a friend or a deadly foe? Plus, the gritty new Ghost Rider makes his presence felt across the Marvel Universe, sharing adventures with Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Wolverine, Cable, The Punisher, and more. So this largely collects the 1990 Ghost Rider series uh, and various other bits and pieces connected to that. It is 1,216 pages. I have to say I might be interested in picking that baby up myself. Oh, I'll definitely pick that up. I haven't enjoyed Benjamin Percy's Ghost Rider runs so much recently. It's, you know, it's it's a more, it's the street level mixed with the spiritual, I suppose. Well, yeah, but, that's exactly what Danny Ketch did. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, that gang war side of things, even if the gang war was sparked by, I think it was like the son of Mephisto or something. Well, as you say, unfortunately, these are advanced solicits, which means I have to wait all the way to August for the next volume. But also solicited this month is Ultimate Spider-Man Omnibus Volume 4. So this is continuing on. Brad Michael Bendis' fantastic run. Uh, I do notice with this one, Mark Bagley stepped away a little bit. Um, you know, they've said pencil by Stuart Eminen, David Lafuente, Mark Bagley, mm-hmm. uh, Takeshi Miyazama, and Sarah Pacelli as well. Now, I noticed there that this is going to contain Ultimate Spider-Man 112 to 133. Is that Bagley? Did he write, did he draw the whole run? But then there's other stuff in here. Ultimate Spider Man 2009, one to fifteen. Spider Man Requiem, Ultimatum Annual. 
Yes. So is I that think, where the other yeah, artists come I think in? That's, I think that's the case. I wouldn't be 100% sure. Uh, uh, I should have checked. But yeah, I think that's, that's about right. Well, I'm taking my time with Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 3 because I don't want the wait to be really long again. I mean, your wallet will thank you. I don't care. I'm <laughs> really enjoying Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, so, as I say, with this being Volume 4, so with new artistic collaborators, Brian Michael Bendis shakes up the Ultimate Spider-Man's world. The Green Goblin escapes from prison and he wants Peter Parker dead. Can Spidey's friends help him fend off the Goblin's vengeance-crazed attack? Meanwhile, one of Peter's classmates makes a startling discovery. She's a mutant. When family secrets come to light, she may be forced to join Magneto's Brotherhood. Then Symbiote's return, and as Venom takes on Carnage, Gwen Stacy's life hangs in the balance. And life will change forever when Magneto issues a terrifying ultimatum and unleashes a tidal wave on Manhattan. Amid the chaos, villains see opportunity and the up-and-coming Mysterio targets Spider-Man for elimination by any means necessary. Will a sinister imposter damage Peter's life beyond repair? So, yeah, 1,008 pages of Ultimate Spider-Man goodness to look forward to in May. Uh, we did recently get in some copies of the first Omnibus again. Mm-hmm. I just I don't want it going out of print for people and then maybe sleeping on Ultimate Spider-Man a little bit but yeah, I have enjoyed that run so, so much. So it's been a pleasure to go through the Ultimate Universe and now we have a current Ultimate Universe yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I've got Volume 3 sitting to sitting to read. Um, I had intended on uh, reading it there or, or picking it up whenever I finished my pull list last week but uh, there were a couple of bits and pieces that I, that I were sitting beside my bed. That I Namely to, that Nick Fury series. That Nick Fury series. Speak very highly of. And the uh, the Nomad series as well by Fabian De Cesar, which was only a, a four issue, but it was uh, it was really good fun. Very much Excellent. of its time. Excellent. Um, so again, another one of those licenses uh, that we spoke of, the 20th Century Studios licenses. And we have the Planet of the Apes Fall of Man sampler, uh, which apparently comes in bundles of 20. And is free. It's written by David F. Walker with pencil by Dave Wachter, cover by Ian Geist. Uh, a new era of apes kicks off. The ALZ-113 virus has rampaged across Earth and humanity is crumbling. While well-meaning researchers hunt for a cure, a handful of humans has their own solution, kill the apes. Peacekeeper Juliana Tobin uh, is one of the few willing to stand against them, but the crisis is spreading and soon apes will witness the true depths of human cruelty. Eisner award-winning writer David F. Walker, Luke Cage, Bitter Root, joins forces with Dave Wachter, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, Star Wars, The High Republic, Trial of Shadows, on one of the most beloved sci-fi franchises in history. So I wonder, is that a sampler of the stuff that has come before? Uh, I would imagine usually with samplers, you'll get maybe, say, samples for a trade that's available, or you'll get samples for an upcoming series. So sampler, you usually get a couple of different volumes in there. So, okay, yeah. Well, sticking with that particular fandom, which I know isn't necessarily yours, but actually I'm, in, I'm intent to go back and, and watch a lot of the original Planet of the Apes movies and some of the new movies, which kind of connect quite nicely with them. Um, Are you going to leave out the Tim Burton movie? Yes, I would say so. It's not good. No, it wasn't good. I remember seeing it at the cinema. I've been very disappointed. So we've got an epic collection, Planet of the Apes Adventures epic collection, the original Marvel Years trade paperback by uh, Doug, uh, Doug Moink. And the Simeon sci-fi staple uh, in the mighty Marvel manner. Relive the classic films, Planet of the Apes, and Beneath the Planet of the Apes in Marvel's 1970s color comic adaptations collected in one action-packed volume. When the crew of astronauts crash lands on a strange and desolate world, they discover a society of apes with heightened intelligence and speech and hear a race of mute humans or their slaves. Can the mission's leader, Taylor, fight his way to freedom and hold on to his humanity? 
What is the shocking secret of the planet of the apes? And what unfathomable danger lies beneath the surface? Find out when a second spaceship makes its way to the uncanny world and another astronaut faces a battle for survival with the fate of an entire planet at stake. Collecting the adventures of Planet of the Apes numbers 1 to 11. That's 224 pages. It's one thing I do have to say that Marvel do better than DC is epic collections. It would be such an easy thing for DC to do also. Uh, but I think the epic collections are fantastic. You know, just great runs of older issues, uh, all sequential, put together by runs by different creators. It's just a really good way of embracing your history and letting people mm, have access yeah, to it. You know? Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to finish off with one last thing then from the Marvel book, and this is from myself. Uh, as anybody who knows knows me, I'm a big fan of the spy genre. So anything that comes into the Marvel Universe, be Wintery Soldier or Black Widowy, I'm there. And there was a really recent run by Black on Black Widow by Kelly Thompson, which was thoroughly great. Uh, some great artists involved as well. Alina Casagrande, Carlos Gomez, Rafael De La Torre, uh, Rafael Pimentel. There were great covers the whole way through it from Adam Hughes. So they are putting together the complete 15-issue run into one collection, which is lovely to see instead of... It is available, I think, at the moment as three individual trade paperbacks, but it's great to see, like, the whole thing. So the entire Eisner Award-winning series in a single book. Something is very wrong with Natasha. She's happy. She's reveling in the perfect life she never dreamed she could have, but scratching the surface of that peaceful existence reveals something very wrong lurking beneath it, and a woman like Nat just can't help but scratch. Beyond the Golden Gate Bridge lies a mystery only the Marvel Universe's greatest spy can solve, but doing so will be the most emotional adventure of her long life. As the Black Widow adjusts to a revised status quo in San Francisco, allies old and new will help her target a mysterious emerging threat in the city by the bay, a dangerous villain known only as Apogee. But even more deadly is the Living Blade, the one skeleton in Natasha's closet she hoped she'd never encounter again. So that collects the entire 15-issue run which kicked off in 2020 and comes personally very highly recommended as well admittedly it's not quite the level of mark wade and chris samney's run but that is a high high benchmark uh to reach so you were right that was a chunky marvel book wasn't it it was plenty of great stuff there you know marvel are just sort of knocking out of the park at the moment loads of great things there and good collections as well so that is dc done that is marvel done so let's finish off as we always do with the indie book and we will kick things off with yourself and of course even though they're demoted through the book it's usually image that are the strongest anyway yeah absolutely and this isn't just image this is the ghost machine imprint which uh, was started by jeff johns and gary frank with geiger uh, junkyard joe and then has now rolled on with that uh, ghost machine number one as things have come together so uh, april sees the release of three books from ghost machine so a little different from distillery they're sort of parsing things out a wee bit Whereas these guys just seem to be straight in, no kissing. <laughs> um, so of the three that are spotlighted and gems of the month, we have Geiger number one by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. It's a series premiere. It's the start of the ongoing. So Geiger has had a mini, it's had a two-parter, and now we'll have this, this ongoing. It all starts here. The critically acclaimed team of storytellers Jeff Johns and Gary Frank return to the nuclear wasteland of Geiger an all-new ongoing series starring the violent and unpredictable Glowing Man. Leaving his home behind, Tarek Geiger now walks the radioactive roads of the former United States with his two-headed wolf, Barney. But as his enemies doggedly pursue him, Geiger discovers salvation from the unlikeliest of foes. But what secrets does this potential alley hold that could help Geiger? And exactly how many people are after the Glowing Man? And why? Don't miss this vital action-packed chapter of the unnamed saga, which is, of course, what they're calling this... Uh, 
the saga with a number of these uh, these different uh, individuals in it. I really enjoyed that that Geiger two part, mm-hmm. and it seems to launch straight off this. So, another series premiere by Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch is Redcoat number one. Again, series premiere, immortal mercenary, kind of a tool. Meet Simon Pure, the newest unnamed hero. Uh, created by comic all-stars Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch, British redcoat and all-round rogue Simon mysteriously became immortal in 1775 after a run-in with clandestine cabal known as the Founding Fathers, which included George Washington, John Hancock, and many other prominent American Revolutionary War leaders. Since that fateful day, Simon has led a life of adventure and avarice, rubbing elbows and sometimes fists with some of history's most renowned figures including his nemesis Benedict Arnold, Albert Einstein, Annie Oakley, and many more. One thing they all agree on, they never want to see him again. But what are the true origins and the extent of Simon's powers and the mysterious organisation behind them? And how has it secretly shaped America and the world? Simon's on a quest to find out. And lastly, do you want to take this one? I know you're a wee bit interested in this one. Yeah, I can do. I mean, this was definitely the standout one for me from the uh, Ghost Machine one-shot that recently came out. And this is one written by Jeff Johns with art by Jason Faybook. So what you have there is the Three Jokers team. Uh, Yes, of course. Even if with Three Jokers, you know, you weren't as enamored with the storytelling or or the choices through there. That was undeniably one of the best looking books of recent years. Just Jason Faybook's art was incredible. So, uh, yeah, written by Jeff Johns, as I say, art by Jason Faybook. This is Rook Exodus number one. So series premiere, Jeff Johns and Jason Faybook, the celebrated team behind the smash hit Batman Three Jokers. I promise I didn't write this. Uh, <laughs> reunite for an all-new science fiction series. Hundreds of years from now, the man known as Rook was once a simple farmer who fled the crumbling earth for a new life on the planet Exodus. A terraformed planet where all of nature, including its imported animal population, was completely controlled by humans called Wardens. But when Exodus's world engine failed, the Wardens' power fell into the wrong hands, creating chaos and mass evacuation for those who could still afford it. The rest, like Rook, must scavenge for an escape fest as the war for control of what's left of Exodus begins. So it's definitely a great thing to see as well. I mean, you'd mentioned with Gagger is obviously an ongoing at the moment with 32 pages. Redcoat is going to be 40 pages. And then Rook Exodus is going to be 48 pages. But none of these books are going above the $4 price point. Yeah, that's great to see. Yeah, you know, it, it was the same with the Ghost Machine one shot. It was yeah. 64 pages, I think. Yeah, I mean, some of those some of those 5 and six ninety nine Marvel books are really really doing my head in it's becoming a bit too commonplace i think and sometimes it's done in a really sneaky way yeah. by both companies um certainly i remember with marvel all the the star wars titles were four dollar books and yeah. then dark droids came out and they just snuck it into five dollars and it hasn't went back down obviously dc with their sort of premium ongoing series things like superman things like batman they tend to be five dollars as well so yeah it can be a little sneaky and a little mm, frustrating sometimes yeah, exactly exactly but um, but thank not, God for yeah, Image Comics. Exactly, not not the case <laughs> in this case. So, Universal Monsters, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon Lives, uh, uh, number one, is uh, out from Image this month. It is the second title in the Universal Monsters line, and in this case is written by Dan Waters and Ram Vino. We had a conversation with Ram. Uh, he envisioned this a long, long time ago, and obviously with his exclusive contract, uh, is not uh, necessarily the man to write it, so... Dan Waters will be uh, will be the 
the scribe on this. The uh, art is by Matthew Roberts and the cover by Dave Stewart. Miniseries premiere, a new horror dream team resurrects one of cinema's most iconic monsters. Acclaimed writers Dan Waters, Homesick Pilots, and Lucifer, Ram V, The Many Deaths of Leela Starr, Batman Detective Comics, and Matthew Roberts' Manifest Destiny rise from the depths uh, for an all-new epic. Years after the events of the original film, journalist Kate Marsden hunts for a notorious serial killer in the heart of the Amazon. Hot on the trail of this madman, she soon encounters an unexpected new threat. But is it friend or foe, or is it simply creature from the black lagoon looks uh, if it's anything along the lines of uh, the quality of universal monsters dracula it's definitely going to be worth uh, worth a look and with that team on it it's definitely going to be of that quality there's another one here actually that i hadn't noticed whenever we were uh, putting together our, our little script mm-hmm. and that's a spotlight on the cull volume one by kelly thompson and uh, matea delius I really enjoyed this series. I'm mm-hmm. just about to read the fifth issue, but this is the collected trade paperback of the five-issue series. Eisner Award-winning writer Kelly Thompson reteamed with superstar artist Matteo Delius for their first creator-owned work together, a dark tale of five friends setting off in the middle of the night to shoot a short film on a forbidden rock near their small coastal town. The summer before, they all go their separate ways, but they're not really there to shoot a film. One of them has lied, and that lie will change everything. Uh, one I know you weren't reading, but uh, definitely one I would uh, I would recommend once it's finished. Uh, that'll be coming your way. Yeah, I know that you'd spoken very highly of it. I think I read the first issue of it, and then it was one of those ones we didn't order a lot of. Someone came in and asked to be put on it, so I let them sort of, I let them have it. But uh, going back just very quickly to um, Black Lagoon, featuring from the Black Lagoon, uh, that's a brilliant artist on that. I don't know if you've ever read the series Manifest Destiny. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it was to do with uh, Lewis and Clark setting yes. an adventure. That These was. Were, it was through Image Comics. So and the writer was Chris Dignus. There we go. Yeah, uh, really, really good book, and there was lots of horror in it as well. Yeah. So maybe perfectly set yeah. up. for I it. actually, you know, I picked that up as a, one of those Image one dollar uh-huh. books, Image first. and then and then followed up. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Uh, and then just one last one from Image uh, I thought was worth mentioning, just because we're huge fans of. A, this title, B, the universe it's set in, and C, the creators for it. So there's a solicitation here for the trade paperback collection of The Enfield Gang Massacre. What a book. What a book indeed. I mean, the only thing I would say is I really hope they have a fold-out cover for it. Oh, yes. I'm, because yeah, those yeah, six yeah, issues yeah. all came together to um have one big giant connecting Do cover. Do you think that's likely? I don't know. There's there's a possibility. I mean, it's a seventeen dollar title, which is you know a wee bit more. Maybe they'll mm-hmm. do. It. Maybe I need to message Chris Condon <laughs> and just you know, you know, use my sway. Yeah. But uh, yeah, written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. Of course, this is the creative team behind that Texas Blood. You've probably heard us talk about it before. You'll probably hear us talk about it again. But the Enfield Gang Massacre is set in the past of that Texas Blood, so a western that is as haunting as it is thrilling. The Enfield Gang Massacre tells the dark origin of that Texas Blood's Ambrose County as only Jacob Phillips and Chris Condon can. Montgomery Enfield and his gang of outlaws find themselves in the crosshairs of an aging Texas ranger and a newborn country that's hungry for law by any means necessary. So that collects the entire six-issue miniseries. Suffice to say, we cannot recommend that enough. Yeah, and I mean, if you haven't read that Texas Blood, then you might be listening to the wrong previews and reviews podcast. You know, we we could say, you know, just to hit a little bit of, uh, a little bit of Coffee and Heroes podcast bingo, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah. So that is all from Image Comics. We have a couple now from Dark Horse. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one that has me very excited because the show had me very excited. And that is the 
Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe Revolution. That show debuted, what, a couple of weeks ago, and I just devoured the whole five episodes. It was superior to the original Revelation, which I also really, really enjoyed, continues directly from it, and is just so, so good. Just a case of like Kirkman and Williamson and Johnson are doing with the Energon universe. They're taking something that we enjoyed uh, as children and edging it up and making it much more cohesive, creating a fantastic narrative in the way that uh, these these properties deserved. So this is Masters of the Universe Revolution number one by Tim Sheridan and various artists. And I believe this is a prequel to the series because Tim Sheridan also did a prequel to uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation. Fates and ambitions collide, journey to the earliest days of one of the universe's most consequential and fraught team-ups in this first issue of the official four-part prequel, there we go, to the Netflix streaming event. Hordak is the ambitious general eager to make his mark. Skeletor is the aspiring mage hungry for power. Joining forces, melding ancient Maternian magic with advanced Horde technology uh, could bring them all their evil heart's desire, but they'll have to survive each other first. So yeah, it looks like this is a, a four-parter and I, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, sticking with Dark Horse and obviously there's been a little bit of a theme of collected editions and things like that. And one that I just wanted to showcase, we're, we're big fans of it. We've chatted to the creators. We've had the writer and creator in store for a signing. Thoroughly lovely bloke he was. And we've just had an announcement. We have had an announcement that there will be a new single issue series called A Place Like Home. But that is scheduled to come out in uh, June, I believe. But prior to that and in this month's previews book is... Essentially, this is a title called Canto. You know, you've probably heard us talk about it before. It used to be oh, set up Canto. at IDW, but it's no longer IDW. It's now Dark Horse. And Dark Horse are celebrating that fact by releasing some uh, glorious hardcovers. And uh, the first volume is coming out this coming... What are you talking about again? April? <laughs> There's no date for the, the, the stuff. Um, but yeah, Canto Volume 1, if only I had a hard hardcover. So uh, this is going to collect the first six uh, issues of the first series. It's going to have an expansive cover gallery, sketchbook and process section. And a new introduction by legendary Usagi Yojimbo creator Stan Sakai oh. as well. So for the gist of it, in case you've never read Kanto before, enslaved for generations, Kanto's people once had hearts. Now they have clocks. They're forbidden to love, yet Kanto loves a little tin girl. When slavers damage her clock beyond repair, Kanto embarks on an incredible journey through his strange and fantastic world to bring back her heart. As he conquers fearsome creatures and finds unlikely allies, he must confront the mysterious figure who has taken their hearts to save the only one he loves. So, yeah, going to be a brand new hardcover edition of that. The biggest compliment I can certainly give Kanto. I mean, I, I collect it like crazy for Vicky. It's one of her favorite series. You know, I've gotten her all matter of variants and exclusives and stuff like that. We've got original artwork from the series as well. Uh, original pages from the series. So, uh, if you've never got into Kanto, this might be a good time to do so. And given that it's a glorious hardcover as well, something tells me that's going to be a beautiful edition uh, and I think sticking with the theme of graphic novel collections. Yeah, absolutely. Just one from uh, IDW here. One that I picked up in singles uh, that I thought I would uh, highlight because all the stuff that Stephen Mooney does with the Rocketeer is phenomenal. And this was uh, the In the Den of Thieves story by Stephen Mooney with uh, art by David Messina. The Rocketeer is grounded after Cliff and Betty's adventures uh, in Europe with Cliff losing the great race but saving the day, he and Betty return home with a busted jetpack and a fixed relationship. 
They're as happy as they've ever been, but paradise doesn't last long. An elite band of Nazis, foiled in the past by their attempts to construct their own jetpacks, decide on a new tactic, kidnapping the only person who can enable them to create their very own fleet of rocketeers, Cliff's beloved friend and mentor, PV. Cliff and Betty must smuggle themselves into Berlin alongside mysterious allies in order to save PV, but first they'll have to overcome Hitler's war machine. So this is 112 pages. I think it was four issues, five four issues. Four issues, yeah. Um, but really fantastic stuff. I love what Stephen Mooney is doing in the Rocketeer. It just it just continues the the feel of the original. Uh, it's just it's just great stuff. I know it's not necessarily your. No, I like the Rocketeer. I mean, who doesn't like the Rocketeer movie for a start? Yeah, you know it's one I haven't watched in a long, long time. I recently picked it up again on DVD. I, p- I picked it up and I picked up the Shadow. Uh, these are two sort of forgotten gems of pulp comic adaptations uh, from a time obviously long before connected universes and huge budgets and all the rest. But like when I rewatched The Shadow recently, all I could think was, geez, Alec Baldwin would have made a great Batman. Yeah, absolutely. But he makes a great Shadow, so it's all good. And uh, there's a forgotten uh, forgotten one there, and that was uh, Billy Zane's The Phantom. The Phantom. Mm-hmm. Well, Billy Zane is the bomb in Phantom Show. <laughs> Um, so moving on to uh, Distillery, uh, which of course is the, the label set up by a raft of fantastic creators. Uh, I just wanted to highlight uh, Spectrograph, number one. Very, very clever title. Not Spectrograph, but Spectrograph. This was previewed in Distillery's The Devil's Cut one shot and is, uh, is coming to fruition now in April. It's by James Tinian and Christian Ward. We interviewed Christian Ward a fair wee while ago now. You can probably yeah. find that one back along the, the podcast feed. It's a new series debut from Modern Masters of Horror. For years, the mansion has sat strangely nestled into the coastline, just a short drive from Los Angeles. Rumours have haunted the place for years. Its owner, a titan of American industry, with a strange fascination in the occult and the paranormal. For decades, the richest men and women in the country have whispered to each other, trying to understand what he was building alone in that mansion for all those years. And now finally with his death and his estate finally open for sale, they are eager to find out for themselves. James Tinney in the fourth, Nice House in the Lake, Something is Killing the Children, World Tree, Christian Ward, Batman City of Madness, Invisible Kingdom, invite you to enter the world of Spectre Graph. Be careful once you enter, you may never leave. Yeah, so you can't go wrong with the team of Christian Ward and James Tinney in the fourth, can you? I mean, distillery books are starting to uh, be solicited much more. Uh, we'd obviously chatted to Ram a little bit about it with regards to when his book would be coming. He's a very, very busy guy, but they're they're churning out plenty of stuff in the meantime. I mean, this week saw the release of Gone Number 2 from Jock. Uh, of course, Keith just mentioned Spectrograph there. Uh, but as well as that, we've also got another advanced solicit for a new title, which is due in May. But worth mentioning again, just because of the creative team and depth and genre as well. So this is The Blood Brothers Mother, uh, written by Bran Azzarello with art by Eduardo Risso. So, new series debut from the team behind 100 Bullets. Cannot recommend 100 Bullets mm. enough. In the Old West, three children set off across the wild Texas frontier to rescue their mother, kidnapped by ruthless outlaws who gun down their preacher father. Throughout their journey, they'll face the harsh elements of an unforgiving landscape, deadly animals hungry for blood, merciless bounty hunters, and so much more. All in a relentless quest to rescue their family. They'll learn the terrible cost of revenge, not just in lives, but in how it stains a soul. While revenge may be satisfying in the moment, it leaves a yearning behind that lasts a lifetime. And once you taste it, nothing else is ever so sweet. In the tradition of The Searchers and Blood Meridian comes a brutal new Western series from Eisner Award winning 
being behind 100 bullets and moonshine i think when that was first solicited last month i don't think there was a full solicitation that was it yeah mm -hmm. because that like story-wise i think we would have you know pushed it even more than we already did because that <laughs> just sucked right up in both of our streets it sounds absolutely brilliant so uh yeah that's a blood brother's mother as i say a slightly advanced solicit june may but you know available for pre-order now so just a couple more things uh from us for our april previews from boom studios i want to highlight a gem of the month it's uncanny valley number one of six by tony fleeks and dave wachter on illustration the writer of stray dogs what a book an artist of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, reimagine Who Framed Roger Rabbit by way of something epic. Is that pitched for me or is it not? <laughs> uh, Oliver is a seemingly typical 12-year-old boy, except for a mysterious family history that seems to start and end with his mother and inexplicable powers, that is. He can do things other boys can't to the point of landing him in some trouble. Baffled by the surreal, cartoonish nature of his abilities and followed by a murder of peculiar crows, the mystery behind Oliver's family history finally unfolds. Written by fan-favourite writer Tony Fleeks, uh, Stray Dogs and Local Man, and illustrated by acclaimed artist Dave Wachter, Punisher, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, discover what makes Oliver special and strange as he searches for his place in the world. Oh, one last boom book there from Keith, a brand new number one. And then I'm just going to finish off with one more, just for a couple of reasons. One, issue one is still available for pre-order. And uh, you can certainly place those pre-orders with us for this, especially because I didn't realise it was going to be an ongoing title. But uh, we're already big fans of Conan on this pod and in-store. Well, as well as that, there's going to be the savage sort of Conan, which is always seen as the slightly more adult of the two. Although, reading recent Conan, I don't know how you go much more adult than that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so Savage Sword of Conan 2 will be coming out in uh, April, but you can still get your orders in for number one. The Savage Sword of Conan continues its triumphant return from heroic signatures and Titan Comics. Featuring a new Conan epic from writer Jim Zub and artist Richard Pace, the exciting continuation of writer-artist at Zercher's Zolomon Kane tale. Spectacular covers from Dave Dorman and Nick Marlikovich. Jaw-dropping art pinups and more. The Savage Sword of Conan number 2 is an onslaught of awe-inspiring adventure. And I maybe mention that because if you check back in the podcast feed in the, in the next week or so, there may be a little Conan-related surprise for you to sink your teeth into as well. Interesting. So that is going to do it for us. That was a very lean, trimmed look through the uh, the previous books. When is the final order cutoff for April books? Final order cutoff is going to be in uh, the 23rd, I believe, of February, so plenty of time. We're on the ball at the moment. You know, I think we've started off the new, the new year brilliantly with the content. Well, that's what we promised. Keep it on top of it. Exactly. So, so yeah, this pod's out nice and early, so plenty of time to get those pre-orders in. As ever, you can drop into the store to let us know any updates. You can drop us an email, coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. You can do it through Messenger, through Instagram. There are many ways to reach us. Uh, so just let us know and we'll make sure that you are able to take advantage of the Coffee and Heroes guarantee, cover price, release day, bagged and boarded, first print. Anyway, as ever, it was a pleasure going through the books with you, sir. And Indeed it was. And uh, I don't think our wallets are going to hurt too much. <laughs> you say that now, but... I know, time will tell. But anyway, hope you found this useful as ever, guys, and I look forward to seeing you in the store soon. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes most days and on Twitter where Alan is Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Scannyson00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book store, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can also find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. 
Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store soon.